0: He's not ready, not ready. My wife's used to that, that's what I sound like in the mornings. No, that's not true. More like to go to bed, that's more right. I'm e- easy to get up in the morning. Man, real easy, especially right now. I don't know why, but it's been super easy for me to get up early. Got up the other day, it was 3.33, 3.33, isn't that weird? I, I was wide awake. I tried, and then I got up at four ten. Was like, I'm up. There's no point going back to bed at that point. So, got up, wrote my sermon, four ten in the morning. This is really actually a great time to write. So, nobody's awake. It's quiet. There's no no sounds anywhere. It's nice. Actually, pretty nice. Joy had her, you know her testimony. You know, I've, um, God has answered a lot of prayer. You know, one of the things I've I've done. Uh, with our prayer walls, you know, we talked about this. You fill out these, you can put them on there for your prayer, and if God answers them, you get to pull them off. And one of these I had pulled off earlier this year was something I'd prayed for all year for joy. You know, last year I'd prayed for all year to just find happiness. And she was going through a lot of transition with working at, at uh, with with the Canes, and she loved them and loved working there, but God was calling her to something else, and uh, and she just that that transition for her was hard. And uh, so I prayed for her like all year. Like, Lord, just make her happy. Like, come on, God, help me here. Um, And, man, the Lord answered that. And so I've kind of kept that up here by the pulpit as a reminder. But the one I'm taking off is the one uh, today. This is my testimony for today. Uh, And it has been, Joy is right, it has been since the new year has started. We have, like, had testimonies every weekend of God answering prayer. It's been amazing, actually. Uh, we started off with fasting at the beginning of the year. Uh, uh, y- y'all know this. Uh, you know, I've gone, this is day 40 for me. And when I wrote this, this was on day 35. All right. So it said, Lord, help me make it another 35 days. Uh, bless me, O oh Lord, with your presence. Right. And then I marked off 35 to 28. And then I came back at, marked off the 28 at 21. And then I marked off the 21 to 14. And then the last time I touched this was eight days ago. And God is faithful. Amen. I mean, I just kept marking off the days. You can see where I scratched them all out along the way. And uh, prayed all the time that God would sustain me. So today marks the end of my fast. And guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. Everybody asked me, well, how do you feel? I'm hungry. That's how you, you should feel after 40 days of not having food. I am hungry. Uh, seriously, I just have to get through today. And no, I'm not planning on getting up at midnight and going to Waterburger. It's not going to happen. I know that's the last thing I did last time, but that's not going to happen this time. Planning on eating small for a while to let my stomach kind of adapt. Uh, but I want to save how grateful I am uh, for all your prayers and kind words and affirmation throughout these last 40 days. You know, I... Uh, uh, my wife could really testify that it's been a huge miracle, uh, that I've been able to do this, uh, not a physical thing on my part, uh, just because of my temperament throughout this entire time. You know, Snickers has made a whole living off of showing you how horrible you can be when you're hungry. And my wife would say, I know this is God because you've, You've been so patient and so nice throughout this entire process. She goes, I look back and we haven't had a single argument in 40 days. And like that, she goes, man, you used to go, you know, without dinner and you're upset, you know, like, (laughs) you know, so uh, I have been doing a lot of reflecting on the past four days, wrote down a few things about this journey. And before we get into the word today, I'm going to share with you just a few things that that I came across. Everybody, I think everybody's thinking I'm going to have this like fantastic deep word after 40 days and, and. If you think that, you might be let down a little bit. But these are the things that I walked away with. Us, like, I just was trying to write a bunch of things that I walked away That I got six things uh, that I think I, like, walked away with. Number one was real simple. Failure is okay. The biggest part of, uh, uh, the biggest failure would be not trying at all. This is something on my heart that I wanted to do for a long time, all right? If it's not on your heart to try to do, then don't do it. Like, it's pretty simple, uh, One of the things that when we started out this year and we talked about wanting to fast and 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 wanting to lead in that area, I wanted to lead in that area. Uh, But this is something 40 days specifically was something that had perplexed me for a long time. I watched John the Baptist come out of the desert uh, eating locusts and honey. And if you don't know that that's a fast, that's a fast. All right. Uh, That's like when Daniel said, I ate no pleasant thing. I promise you, like you put honey on crickets to make them taste better. Okay. Uh, you don't want to eat. Locust and, and stuff like that. Um, and he came out of the wilderness with power, like his ministry's on fire. Jesus goes off to the wilderness. And I promise you, you know what scares me the most about the 40 days and that whole conversation is uh, the devil shows up at 41. So that's what scares me about that whole situation. But one of the things that's enticing too is his ministry really doesn't begin until he comes out of that fast, right? I mean, there's this key thing about 40 days and it shows up a lot in the Bible and there's something mysterious about it. For me, I've been wanting to taste that. You know, one of the things I think that makes us Pentecostal is the fact that we love the mysterious. We love the mysterious. We, we, we love the things that are not like intangibles, right? The, the things that hold, honestly, our Baptist friends and our Methodist friends back. I mean, a lot of the times they do. Like, I, I love them. They'll raise their hands for worship and they'll sing. But that mysterious part where we start to speak in tongues, where we start to separate ourselves by the miracles and laying on hands and some of the things that we do, prophesy and things like that. That's where we set ourselves apart. We, we have this love for the mysterious. So there was something mysterious about this 40-day thing for me. And I had to be okay with me failing first, realizing I'd only gone seven days. Going 40 seems impossible, especially because seven days felt impossible. Uh, number two, being hungry is part of the journey. One thing I learned in the Marine Corps is this phrase right here. It's not politically correct. so I apologize now. Embrace the suck. All right. You're going to be hungry. All right, if you decide you're ever going to do something like this, if you're going to fast, embrace the suck. Embrace the idea that you're going to be hungry, that people are going to cook and their lives don't stop because of you, right? Like I said, one of the great, the funniest times was also one of the hardest times, the taco Wednesday we had. And where Randy was like, ooh, bet you want some. Yeah, yeah, you got to love family. That's what family's for. That's what family is for, Right. But honestly, he also was also rooting for me at the same time. You know, like, I hope you make it. I do hope you make it. And if you think one meal is going to get you down, bro, you got to be prepared. That's where you go back to number one, right? Failure's okay. Okay? you got to, you got to know that other lives don't stop. You have to have it set in your heart. All right? Being hungry is just part of the journey. Right? It's also there to teach you you're not going to die. All right? And like, much to you, you might think you were going to, but you're not. Right? Number three, when it, when it gets physically and psychologically hard, quote Scripture. If it worked for Jesus, it, it'll work for you. I can tell you many times where I said, Lord, you said man should not live by bread alone. But bread sounds really good. So I need your help, you know, especially since I didn't, I didn't really stop working. I just kind of still went to my job, still did the things I asked of me, uh, which if you don't think my wife asked me to mow during this time, you'd be crazy. Or go build a tree house that's the size of my own house. And for you who have been out to my house, you've already seen it. It's giant, so 12 foot by 12 foot, so about 5 foot off the ground. It's already got stairs now and railing, by the way. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's epic. It really is. Uh, and the next one, God gave me peace and temperamental rest during the entire fast. But in my experience, fair warning, God never works the same way twice. Don't go into your 40-day Go, man, I'm going to go in 40 days and be like Pastor Jim, and everything in my life is going to be great. Listen, not everything in my life has been great, but I tell you what, I had to prioritize some things, and I was completely conscious at all times of where my attitude was at. What good it would have been to have a spiritual fast and be a sorry individual? So that's the other thing I was thinking about a whole lot during that process. Um, moving on real quick, I felt an increase in passion for the lost and a greater devotion towards the return. God is calling me to the one thing, and people, I think, were asking me, like, well, what is God saying? God's pretty much saying the same thing he's been saying. All I hear is this, this trumpet constantly in my ears. Some call it tinnitus. I call it God. Um, and what I hear is the same thing, God calling his people to return. Now, whether they listen or not, that's not my, my, my issue is to tell people about the return and have a passion for it. I have a passion to bring people to God, right? And make no mistake, with us so close to youth ministry, I haven't forgotten Tomorrowland. I might not have talked about it in a while, but I haven't forgotten it. I plan on building a facility somewhere here just for teenagers. Right? I am so glad, and I am going to make sure that this putters and gutters here coming into next to PC is going to make it. But I also want a place where they can just hang out and don't have to spend all their money to hang out. All right? I, I, I want a place like that in, in town uh, where we build the, the leaders of tomorrow. Last thing. For those that are wanting, I've lost a total of 37 pounds, and none of my clothes fit at all. Like, I cut a hole in the belt just to make this belt hold my pants up, all right? <laughs> Nothing fits me well. And my wife's like, well, we need to go get you a whole new wardrobe. Mm, I've been on a few diets in my life enough to know, no, we don't. No, no, we don't. <laughs> I just haven't eaten anything in 40 days. <laughs> Let me eat something. We'll go back to the regular old belt, I promise you, Right. Uh, Again, I appreciate everybody just for supporting me during this process, and man, I still got to get through today, so, but honestly, feels pretty, pretty easy now, feels pretty easy now, so I really love you guys, and thank you. All right, Exodus chapter 19, let's jump right into it this morning. Man, if you missed last week, I will try to get it up on 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 our podcast pretty quick here. If you're not on a podcast with apple you can look it up on soundcloud uh i'm probably missing about eight or nine messages in between i'm going to try to go back and re-record those things uh might not sound as good as when we're doing it live but at least it's out there my mom asked me about it this morning like you just got this one message like no i'm i'm actually chapter 19 well then uh do some work and i was like okay mom calm she goes well we're snowed in in colorado so it's like nothing else to do it's like, okay, all right, all right. Uh, last, we had a great chapter 18. If, if you weren't here last week, I will try to get that up, and then we'll just figure out the in-betweens. Um, man, we talked about the leadership attributes of Jethro. It's probably one of the best ones I've come across so far. But now we're on to something a bit more mysterious, uh, a bit more challenging, I think. God is going to prepare the children of Israel to hear his commandments, and not just like any commandments, guys, uh, but the Ten Commandments, kind of a big deal. Um, uh, however, chapter nineteen is really the setup. It's the setup to that. So in this chapter, God is casting vision, right? And by the way, this is how all great leadership starts. It starts with a vision. There's no such thing as leading anything—leading a company, a school, a corporation, a church, anything in life—requires some sort of vision. Somebody has the idea of where they're going, right? And this is this is what we uh, see right here with God. So Exodus nineteen. Verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading out of the ESV uh, unless I say otherwise. Are we all there? Say amen. amen. All right. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also, be- and may also believe you forever. Let's pray real quick. Father, uh, as we read your word this morning, this isn't my vision, this is your vision, God. And may, um, Lord, bless my lips so they can convey it rightly. Lord, that's the most important thing, Lord, so that their hearts hear what you want them to hear and see what you want them to see, that you are still calling them today, God, to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, God, that you are their, they are your treasured possession, Father. Let them feel it today, God, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So they, they had been journeying for a little while. They'd been without food and water, right? We covered some of that, but the Lord provided for them. In following Moses, they're learning how to follow God. That's that's what all this is about, right? Wasn't this kind of the same challenge that Paul issued, really, that follow me as I follow Christ, right? If you can't figure out how to follow Christ on your own, like, you can at least follow me, and I will at least try to show you or give you the example, the right example in which to follow but finally, we kind of arrived at a threshing point, really. We're, we're now at a place where God wants to be known more than he has before. All right, you, you knew of me through what I've done to Egypt, but now I want you to really know me, really see me. He wants to remind them of their past, how he walked with their forefathers. Right, He walked with Abraham. He walked with Isaac and Jacob. After all, that's what he referred to them to. He says, go back and tell well, who? The house of Jacob right? The people of Israel. That's same, same thing. Israel, Jacob, same, same thing. And what is his vision for them? I think, I think that's easily found in the adjectives he uses to describe the people to whom he's speaking to. Real simple. He, he calls them a, 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 a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, are they that right now? Obviously not, right? They got some struggles going on right? Uh, but this is what God wants Moses to convey. This is the, These words might be like simple adjectives, but from the mouth of God, they carry weight throughout eternity, actually. And we're going to find out a little bit of that, right? They give identity now to the children of Israel, okay? God isn't just speaking this over a specific generation either, right? He is speaking this over all his children. All who are of Israel are going to be these, right? And what what is he speaking? And this is where it really gets interesting, where you where you really start to look at the Hebrew words, and it just gets pretty neat, actually. Uh, first off, you know, here in the English Standard Version, when it says "treasured possession," yes, it means that. But there's actually something more going on for the for the word there it uses for treasure. Yes, it's something of value, uh, like a jewel or like a family, you know, heirloom. Like when you have something like a family heirloom, it's precious. You know, somebody's owned that, that's owned that, that's owned that. It's, it's a very precious thing. Or, or when, when it's a jewel, say like a diamond or, or precious metals or like gold, why are they so valuable? Because there's not a lot of it uh, out there. So it, 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 it gains value because of its rarity. And more specifically, in, in the word that the Hebrew use here, because of its peculiarness. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the King James Version, it literally uses the phrase peculiar treasure. You are my peculiar treasure. The same words used over and over too. This same Hebrew word, this peculiarness, this uniqueness to this treasure, is used over and over. Uh, in Exodus nineteen, we see it here. But if you, uh, where, where I'm not going to have you skip to Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy seven, uh, verse six, he says, "For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured." Possession there. There's the same word, the treasured there in Hebrew. It's the same peculiarness, peculiar treasure, right? Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Seven chapters later, chapter fourteen. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Ten chapters more, Deuteronomy twenty-six. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession, right? And let's not forget the words of the Apostle Peter, right? Moving all the way to the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Go back and look at it in the King James and you're going to hear it. You are a peculiar race. You're a peculiar people. You're going to see that used a lot Uh, uh, that God has called you out of darkness into marvelous lights, right? Now, they say uh, when you're studying theology and you're studying things that it takes at least three or more scriptures to create solid doctrine. Uh, Well, I think we have a winner, right? I think we have a winner, okay? I mean, this obviously is something that God is going to theme, and it starts right here in Moses, that you are his treasured possession, that he looks at you like this. But it's more than just, oh, you're something of value to him. Now, what makes you valuable is your rarity, is your peculiarness, right? Uh, Without a doubt, if you're wondering what God desires for you to be, like that ends today, right? You are a peculiar treasure, a rare people. You're a rare people set apart by your devotion and consecration to the Lord. That's what makes you rare. It is this calling, this sanctifying walk that leads you to being seen around the world as a kingdom of priests, Because God has pulled you to himself. Because he's pulled you to himself. Now you become a rare people. Because you're a rare people. Who serve a holy and sacred and devout God. You become holy and sacred and devout yourself. Right? This holiness that's placed upon you. Creates the idea. Especially to the world. That you are a kingdom of priests. This is identity. This is your identity. The image you're painting to the rest of humanity as devout, as sacred, as a holy people, right? This is how we lead the world, as a line of royal princes and princesses, heirs to God, right? That's what makes it so rare, right? This walk is the walk of holiness. Probably one of the hardest subjects to talk about. (coughs) Where we become the image of God before the world, like Paul said in Romans, Romans 8, that this is what you're predestined for, to become the image of Christ. This is what God has made you for, so that you could speak the image of God to the world, right? And you're going to be this kingdom of priests, this holy nation. Isn't it is that God put that holy nation thing last, right? I found it interesting because the New Testament really talks more about holiness than the Old Testament does. The Old Testament lives holiness. Because of the commandments are going to create holiness, right? The reason we haven't heard a whole lot of talk up to this point about holy and sacred. Now we've seen altars. We know God is holy, but we haven't seen a lot of practicing of holiness yet because the law hasn't been written yet. And once the law is written, the law shows us this is what holiness looks like, right? Which we would say impossible, right? But the pursuit of it is still what creates holiness, right? We, we, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm, I'm trying to preach too fast so so let me let me let me dive into some of that, especially with the New Testament, how Paul talks about this now paul was you think you think if I hammer holiness a lot, Paul was adamant that new believers, if you're a believer in Jesus that you practiced holiness, you practice it second Corinthians seven to one of the most wayward churches, really the most one of the most american type churches, probably in the Bible, the Corinthians, who were very wealthy and because of their wealthy, they struggled in a lot of sexual immorality, they struggled a lot of uh, uh other things as well uh, uh homosexuality was big and prominent i mean paul is having to deal with murders thieves liars homosexuality sexual promiscuous uh he was dealing with all kinds of stuff there uh and hit the you know yet his words to the corinthians was since we have these promises Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Like, this is your job. You want to know what brings holiness into you? It's like shed the things that defile you. That's what he's saying. Get rid of the things that are not wise for you. Start living like you would unto the Lord. Like if you were going to walk into the temple, and Paul understood this. If you were going to walk into the temple, how many of you would walk into the temple where you know they used to like bring ropes in because that way if you died, they could just pull you back out because God is so holy. How many of you feel comfortable walking in there right now? Right? And if you, if you don't, by the way, you should check yourself. You should check yourself. All right? This, and this isn't a suggestion Paul's making either. It's a requirement of discipleship. It's a byproduct of sanctification. Sanctification is nothing more than walking with Christ. That's it. Living every day for Him. Walking every day. Learning every day to pull things out of your life that don't need to be there. Pluck up the roots that need to be pulled out and to live a clean life right? Peter's approach was a bit more like in your face, right? We know this one. This is the one we all know, right? First Peter uh, uh, 1, 15 and 16. But as he who call, called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I always love that one because that's like the one that you always hear when people talk about holiness. Well, be holy because I am holy. Well, tell me how. Tell me how. I get to be holy. I get that we're supposed to be holy. The Bible's pretty clear about that, but how, how do we be holy. And, and, I, and I, think, I think that's something that gets misunderstood along the way, right? And, and I, I don't want to hang a lot here, but there is some things that get misunderstood about holiness in regards to its importance, okay? And, and one of the things that I like, in, in, the, in the writer of Hebrews cautions this, and this is why it's important that we get it right. This is why we talk, we need to talk more about holiness in all honesty, especially in the world today. Um, he, the, the writer of Hebrews cautions the works of our evangelism. And the works of our faith, if we don't get it right. Hebrews 12, 14, and this is where, if you're making notes, this is one to hang on to. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, listen, without which no one will see the Lord. Did you catch that? That's like the clause, right? Without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace, strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You wonder why a lot of people evangelize, a lot of church evangelizes, but they're not holy churches, and they don't witness very well. Or you wonder why you see empty churches. Come on, there's a a lot here. It's hard to grasp the revelation that, that our holiness is directly related to how well others can actually see God. Think about that. It's easy to say, be holy, but what is it? According to the Hebrew translation of the word, it's simple. It's to be clean and pure, to be free from defilement, to be set apart and made sacred. Sacred means special. Like, like you're doing this, and, and even though nobody else is doing it, man, you, you realize that I'm going to walk this line no matter what, no matter what. I'm going to set myself apart from everything else so that I can be fully devoted to the Lord, fully devoted we could preach a whole sermon on this subject, right? Because make no mistake, holiness is lacking in the church today. Man, I, I I was was kind of writing notes for myself. I often will get here in the morning and read over my sermon a couple times, and then I just start making notes about all the things that I didn't, you know, at 4.10 in the morning, remember. Uh, but I remember the words of Brennan Manning pounding in my ears, He said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. You know what that's called? That's called being unholy. That's what it's called. He also said this, that is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. He also said the temptation of this age is to look good without being good. Man, this has been a struggle Uh, that I've leaned on for for years Uh, a subject basically uh, while I was being mentored we had kind of this developed a leadership mantra concerning the choice between uh, holiness and grace and I never hear anybody else talk about this like we talked about it a lot and actually him I'm really stealing it from him Uh, uh, Stephen uh, my mentor uh, before coming into ministry And this was something he kind of taught me, and I'm passing it on to you. You wouldn't think there's a choice between holiness and grace, but you don't realize how much you make a choice between holiness and grace. Uh, I I don't think many people realize it, right? And I think they misunderstand the gospel and why there is a choice there. Let me explain this. We often make decisions concerning what's acceptable before the Lord all the time with our life. We make decisions all the time. Should I go see this movie? Should I drink this? Should I eat this? Should I say this, what I'm about to say? Should I listen to this or partake in this? We make decisions all the time because we're around worldly people. We're in the world. We're supposed to not be of it, right? But you're also, how do I love? How do I care? How do, so we're balancing this all the time. Balancing this all the time, right? So we're always making decisions concerning what's acceptable, right? Before the Lord at all the time. There are some things that we know are not the best decisions for us, but we also know the Lord loves us The Lord will give us grace, right? Because of our humanness, we associate this much like our current parenting structure, right? That our parents will always love us no matter what we do. Can I tell you, make no mistake, Jeffrey Dahmer's mama loves him, even though he's a serial killer. All right? If you don't know who that is, that's a serial killer. He was a cannibal, eight people. But I guarantee you, his mama loved him. I mean, that's what moms do. Right, There are a lot of people in prison who moms love them even though they are murderers. They will always love them. You know what? Jesus loves them too. doesn't mean you don't have consequences to your actions. You have consequences to your actions. But you know what? You ever, you ever done something because you know you could get away with it because your mom does love you your dad does love you, and you know you can get away with it because they'll be like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that, but I love you. And you did it because you knew they were going to be like that? Everybody's done that. Well, I was a bad kid. I know I did it all the time. All right, Right. so we choose things that are unwise all the time. We do. We choose things that are unholy, things that will defile us, things that are not beneficial for our walk with God all the time. And what, what are we doing in that moment? We're choosing grace over holiness. We know it's not right. We know that we're probably better off if we didn't. But we know, God, you love me. God your grace is so good that I'll just keep doing these things even though it's bad for me. And I'll keep doing these things even though they defile me. I'll keep doing these things even though I know that's really not exactly what you want from me. But it, And then we then the complaint comes, right? Well, Lord, if I was really to act this way, it'd be miserable. My whole life would be horrible. And I feel like God says all the time, am I that bad to hang around with? Like, am I? Am I is it that bad? Like, I'm trying to tell you what the thing, it's like, a, as a parent, we should relate to this. Like, uh, Uh, I'm trying to teach Rachel right now. She's been struggling. I'm just going to be honest. She's been struggling going to church a little bit, and 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 mainly because work is affirming her left and right. She's being so successful at it, and you know, uh, she's just so stupid smart. You know, she's getting a good tax return, and 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 not like me who would have went out and bought something dumb. No, my kid's got to go pay for college because she's trying to pay college and work at the same time, and. And she's putting the rest down on her car so it knocks her car payment down. Me, I'd have been like, I'll I'd, I'd, I'd spend that whole thing in a weekend. What are you talking about? Like, I mean, I, you know, she's crazy smart, but you know what I know that she doesn't? That your life can get out of balance. And if you're not careful, this very job that you love, that's affirming you all the time, well, when you start to live for it, your life gets out of balance and all of a sudden you'll hate work. You'll find yourself hating being at your job, loathing to be there, counting the hours it takes to go home. If you don't create balance in your life, right? But you know what? It took me 47 years to figure that out, okay? It's taken me a long time. I'm trying to pass on to that wisdomer. Can she, can she continue to live like this? Yes, but her life will spiral eventually. If she doesn't adhere to wisdom, her life will. It just will, you know? But she's got to learn. She's got to grow. I've got to give her grace in this area, you know? But again, she's making decisions with the full conscience of knowing, this probably is wise, but this is how I feel right now. And how I feel right now, somehow weighing out what's wise, we do this all the time. We grew up doing it. Everybody does this, right? It's, it's part. And, 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 and all this time we're fighting what's beneficial to our walk with the Lord and what's beneficial to us. And then we do things for temporary pleasures, right? Because it makes us feel good. So we choose it. Hey, man, it's going to make me feel good right now. So I'm going to do it, right? And we justify ourselves through words like God loves us. God forgives us. God gives us grace. Judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> right? Y'all know it. I can't but wonder if these will be the same people who are going to complain about their having done so much good for the kingdom, having attended church their whole life. They paid tithes. They sang songs and then be baffled by the fact that Christ don't know them when they get there. After he said, be holy as I am holy, be the image to the world. The world can't see me because you're not holy. You're not. You're defiling yourself. You're making decisions. You're 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 I've I've had a phrase and somebody's like, how is that possible? It's like, "I, I think some people grace themselves to hell. They think God's going to love them so much that God just loves you to be disobedient. Like you could just continue to be disobedient and that's love. That's not love. You can't say that, God, listen, God does love you. He's given you a chance. You know, the fact that you're still here and not dead in hell already is God's grace. But make no mistake, God. God's grace is also giving you time to turn around, to come out of that things that defile you, to make good decisions, to be holy, right? And so where does the decision, so here's what, Here's how it looks when when me and Stephen talk about this. So when I'm faced with a decision, well what's the holy decision? All right? What's the holy part of this decision-making ability? And what what is the grace side of this, right? And which way should I lean? Do, so, so do I walk in holiness or do I walk in grace in this area? You choose holiness. This is, this is what we tend to do. Like when it comes, well how should I behave in this situation? Well, what would a holy person do? This is how I should behave. This is, this, this is how I, I, I should walk. I should walk and choose what is holy and what is right before the Lord. And that is the right decision, not the decision to go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of fall into this, right? That's how you walk in holiness, right? Um, you choose to. When given the options of this world to lean into the worldly ways versus godly ones, you always lean towards holiness. Always lean towards holiness. Holiness. This doesn't mean that sometimes you won't fail. It's true. This is where grace acts as the safety net. You choose holiness. Does that mean you're always going to behave holy? No. But that's where you get grace. You made the right choice. You chose that, but your flesh, you waged the war, right? And you failed in being holy, okay? So you repent, and now grace comes back in in your pursuit to be holy. But guess what? Over time, after choosing holiness for a long time, it becomes the choice of your life. And after a while... Let's just be honest, man, you end up setting the bar and people look at you to be holy because they're like, man, look at this guy. This guy is, man, he lives his life in such a way that seems so bizarre, seems so out of, right, so peculiar, so set apart. He must be a part of the kingdom of priest." We're going to fail, man. Our depravity, our flesh, is, man, even the adversary, the devil's walking around, right, trying to thwart us all the time. If you don't believe me, just look at pastoral ministry in the last 20 years. You know, I, I read a book I've shared a lot with Michael. He's, he's shared a lot, too. Well, we read a lot of Re- Leonard Ravenhill. Ravenhill died back in the 80s. And when you listen to him preach, he talks about how bad the ministry was in the 80s. <laughs> right? Like legalism was on full display. But there was a lot of stuff going on, drugs, alcohol, things like that. Man, I, I mean, in the ministry day, I'm like one of the few guys out here that don't drink. Eight, 20 years ago, that's unheard of. Like, there, I know Pastors Day played lottery. 20 years ago, you played lottery, they kicked you out of ministry. I'm just, and that sounds silly maybe, but like, there was a standard. Like, even 20 years ago, there was a standard. Like, when I first got saved and people were bringing me into Christianity, this is, I feel like, betrayed at times. People were bringing me into Christianity, they told me like, man, you need to read your Bible, man. You should memorize scripture. You should know all this. I mean, they was like dogmatic on this stuff, guys. I mean, like. and and they did it in the nice way it's not like they hammered me like hey if you're not doing this you're going to hell nobody ever said that to me it what they said was this is what good disciples do they read their word now that you've got jesus in your heart what you need is his word also there so that when the devil comes and tries to pluck that seed back out you can fight him off with the things you know about jesus because now you're getting to know him your relationship's personal all i did was make the introduction now now you and jesus can have your own one-on-one and so me and jesus we got one-on-one i started reading my bible i did what they told me to do so i I read my Bible, man, that, you know, I meet the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I start speaking our language, and I practice those things, right, because God came to me, and He begins to talk to me personally, and He begins to push me into ministry, and I, I begin, okay, and I'm looking towards these guys who are amazing examples of how to walk, and I see their godly families, and I see what God's doing in their life, and, and I'm like, man, I hunger for that, I see, I see the wisdom in following after God, and being holy after God, and I follow these men to show up to ministry today at 47, and I'm one of the few that still agrees to, the old days you know how disappointing it is to be the 40 year old getting to preach today when this should be your prime and being the old guy everybody is telling me oh man you're about that right age for that senior pastor part where you're still that young look and and all that and you can lead a young families and you can lead that older stuff but man you know what's so hard is coming off with a doctrine that sounds like it's 30 40 50 guess what i have a doctrine that's very biblical and that's hurting me that's hurting me because i'm not leaning on grace more than i am on holiness I lean more on holiness than I do grace. I think grace is there to supplement the times when I fail at holiness. That's what I believe it to be. And if I'm wrong in doctrine, I can't find it biblically. God said, he says obedience is love. And if God says obedience is love, and by the way, remember when we went through our Wednesday studies? I mean, by the time you got a lot of like five chapters in the book of Matthew or whatever, there were like, 70 things God commands us to do in the New Testament, just in like five chapters of Matthew. It was ridiculous. When you start to look at how many, there's like hundreds of commands. And Jesus says in the Great Commission, we always leave this part out, right? Oh, what's the Great Commission, Pastor? Well, the Great Commission is that, that we make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then they just stop. And then it says what? To teach them all my commands. Teach them to obey all my commands. Why is that so important? Why is that That's part of discipleship. God wants obedient people. Obedient people are set-apart people. Set-apart people are holy people and peculiar people. A peculiar people are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We lead because we're different. People will look to us because we're different and see that we're the morally upright. They will see that we're the morally correct. Right? We choose to live a, a life of abstaining from worldly things. That's so bizarre to people. That's so bizarre. Listen, it doesn't say you're not to enjoy the things of this life. Man, I love going to Colorado, man, seeing the mountains, cooking fish right out of the stream. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like enjoying the world. Okay, God made it. It's his footstool, right? We're just playing on the ottoman. That's all we are. We're just playing on the ottoman. Just like his little kids running around his feet. That's all we're doing. It's good. It's a good thing. But we're supposed to live a way that's above reproach. That's not just the pastor's. They should be leading at that, and that's, that's a struggle even today. And, man, if you go out and look, if you, if you talk to missionaries, do you know that there's people that we send missionaries out? And that's a lot of what we think about America. Well, this, America, we send missionaries out all over the world. Yeah, but you know what's happening right now? They're coming back, not our missionaries. We send missionaries out to go save countries. Those countries are feeling sorry for us and are coming back now. They look at us at times like we're not saved at all. I read an excerpt about this, this very thing, and, and I, it came out from Oxford University. It right? came out from their, their publication, and, and it was sent around, and it, it read this. This is what their conclusion was after talking to missionaries that are coming to the United States. It said this, missionaries in America view the United States as a Christian nation in trouble. America has lost its spiritual fire with growing materialism, secularism, humanism, and sexual immorality. It is no longer a city of a hill or a beacon of light and may even become like the now secular and dark continent of Europe. Although the United States is predominantly Christian and a dominant missionary sending nation, it is framed as a nation that has lost its foothold as a leading Christian influence. Its churches are in great number, but they are weak in spirit. That's true. Missionaries are therefore needed to bring spiritual revival into America. I met a guy, Brother Jackson, Assembly of God pastor from Uganda, who had come over here to be the minister here. And you know why he was uh, here? He was here because he witnessed revival in Uganda. They were having crazy revivals. And you know what brought about revival? Revival. He said, you know, his big sermon was two ways to bring about revival, desperation or devastation. Which one do you think hit Uganda? You think they were just so desperate for the Lord? Well, I think desperation came, but it became because of devastation. Because like 30% of the culture over there had HIV. And where, when revival broke out, he was here to testify. When revival finally broke out, that the governmental system, those guys got saved, turned to Christianity, outlawed a lot of things that kept a lot of homosexual, or a lot of HIV stuff from spreading, right? And, and then what happened is with all these now, because it wasn't just homosexuals. It was everybody that was being infected by all this stuff. Uh, what happened after that was now we got all these women who are wives. A lot of their men are gone because they're dead. And we've got all these children with no parents because HIV swept everything, right? They, they've built orphanages and, and they give these widows, these young widows something to do. They give them like 20 kids and a whole building and they've got food and water and everything. And they've got these whole orphanages set up with widows being in place to run all these things. And, and they've got, I mean, it's, it, it was crazy. But i never forget him coming here trying to tell us, America, I've come to tell you, you have two options. You can get desperate for the Lord or devastation is on your doorstep. When they start coming back at us, guys, this is happening. Why? Because we're failing when it comes to, from, to choose holiness, to walk right before the Lord, to walk right. You know, Moses shares, you know, in all this stuff, he shares this as vision. This is the identity God is trying to paint. God is saying, this is what you are. Like, you're not that yet, right? But God says, this is where I'm calling you to be, right? What's your identity? Your identity is, you're peculiar. You're peculiar because you follow after me. You're peculiar because you're going to choose a way that's not like the rest of the world. The rest of the world does what it wants for itself. It leads a selfish life. It it chooses power and money and comfort and all those things. Materialism comes straight from selfishness. You want to be comfortable. I get it. Everybody does. I love my recliner. It's awesome. I play Call of Duty, and it's great. But, I mean, make no mistake about it, God's called me to live without a lot of things, too. Why do you think Joy's so happy dancing for a home? Because we had settle in our hearts. If God might move us again, we never know. I committed my life 30 years to this place. God's given me 10, going on 11. That doesn't mean he's going to give me the rest of the 20. This is what I said, Lord. If you'll give it to me, I'll stay. I've got the heart for it. God hadn't taken it away. Honestly, I thought when I left First Assembly that he was going to. But when he didn't, he didn't. And I was like, man, maybe he's going to give me what I want. But if he doesn't, you know what? I'm okay with that because it's wherever he wants me to go. Now, I'll be honest. I don't think I can make a good enough difference in this place without 30 years. I think I need all of it. I think we need tomorrow land in this town. I think we need strong spiritual sp- pillars. I think they're, they're gone missing. Pastor walmike has gone. That's the last of them outside of a few other guys here in town that have been here long enough to have that kind of respect. But, I mean, with Brother Max gone, Pastor Warmaker, at least in Marble Falls there he's the only other one, one I know that's got that kind of time. Been here that long to affect so many lives. We need men who are spiritual pillars in communities. And the only way to do that is to stay the test of time. And that's not easy. It's easier always to move. Don't believe me, I can tell you, a lot of pastors right now have been in ministry for 10 years and served at seven churches. They move everywhere there's greener grass and more money. Man, it's hard enough to get a pastor to pastor today. Look, we've, we've offered out here, I've paid for services to try to bring in pastors. Can't get anybody to move. Nobody wants to come pastor. Even if you pay them, they want a lot of money. They want 40 to 50 grand a year to come pastor. College kids they don't even get out. They're taught in college now. As soon as you get out, you need to be the teacher's wages, at least what you should make. And so they expect money as soon as they come into ministry. They expect it. That's why church planners are like, they're very rare. People who want to go plant with nothing, they're rare. You're not going to see a church planter like us anyway. You're not going to see anybody that starts with nothing. Nobody does that anymore. They have all these ministry machines set up that you can borrow $100,000 and get started. And, and they're willing to lose that money. So, And by the way, 70% of church planters fail. They don't make it five years. So we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. I got to keep moving on or I could hammer on holiness all day. And we don't want me to hammer on holiness all day. Exodus 19, 10 through 15. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Don't go near a woman. Right? You stay clean. Stay consecrated. Right? Moses shares with the elders. This is God is going to move. He's going to do it. And with this move will come some things that are going to require their obedience. Welcome to the walk of God. Make no mistake, one thing is we don't probably say enough, that when you say yes to Jesus, part of that yes is you're going to listen to him now. You're gonna, he's going to require obedience, okay? He has grace when you fail at it, but he requires it. It's not an option. It's a part of holiness. We have to learn to obey. The Bible records in the same way that God loves obedience over sacrifice. It's through obedience that our love of God is visibly seen. Again, on the subject of holiness, the word consecrated again. Which means to be set apart. He consecrated them. They are set apart now. It's important stuff. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day were, the, were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down, warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priest who come... Near to the Lord, consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up and bring Aaron with you. And do not let the priests and people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. You ever gone to your parents and you're like, but you just said, you just shut up. Just do what I say, right? It's one of those awesome moments, right? Can't you just, don't you love Moses in that moment? It's like, he's like a kid, right? I love the back and forth with God. Moses was set on doing what the Lord wanted him to do. That's why he said that, all right? He wasn't afraid to pose a question to God, especially if it sounded contradictory to what he had already told him. And by the way, God's not intimidated when you do it as well. By the way, friends of God, you, you should be able to ask questions. It's okay. It's okay if you ask questions. It's okay if you don't know. You should ask. I can't tell you how many arguments I have with the Lord. We have arguments all the time about what I think is right or wrong or whatever. You know, had one literally last night, like in the middle of the night, I woke up having this argument about something dumb, like, you know, when people sell, like, I don't know, like when they sell something, like it's a healing cloth or sell something like that, I'm always like, God, should we sell stuff like that? And he's like, well, you know, like God will be like, he'll get all scriptural on me, don't make no mistakes. And he's like, he's like, first of all, like, who are you? You know, like, I, well, I'm Nobody you know, first of all, and is it possible that these things, you know, God heals whom he wants to heal, so yeah, it is possible, you know, and I have, like, these are the conversations I have, I don't win any of them, by the way, I don't win any of these, they're all, like, conversations that I just, like, I don't know why I bother, like, it's not fun, to, like, one of these days I think I'm going to win, but I, that's how dumb I am, I actually think I'm going to win a conversation with God, it's crazy, I just now thought about that, how dumb that was, right, um, and, and Moses didn't argue with the Lord, not like I do, right? Uh, but he does require obedience. It's a big deal. And, and he's like, I, I know what you just heard, and this is what I'm saying now, right? And this is what I want you to do. Pretty outstanding obedience. He's not questioning, right? We see the same type of obedience uh, in Christ at Gethsemane when Jesus said, hey, if the cup can pass, but nevertheless, thy will be done. Like, I'm open to options but if there are none, I'm good, right? It's whatever the Father wants. That's what the Lord is looking for. That's what holiness personified looks like, right? Next week, we're going to discuss the Ten Commandments. Everyone, even the world, has heard of the Ten Commandments. They have proved their mettle, and they've shown us the extent at which how long God's word stands. Come on. Long after uh, one generation's passed, another one comes and goes. They're still here. They're still here. However, what stands between those words and the children of Israel and even us are three very specific challenges. First one, consecration. Setting ourselves aside. Becoming a peculiar people. Right? Choosing holiness. Right? Which is the second one. Holiness. You consecrate yourself. You set yourself aside to walk in holiness. Right? And you continue to do so by being obedient to what God's called you to do right? All are synonymous with one another. You can't talk about obedience without holiness. You can't talk about holiness without consecration, sacredness. You can't talk about these things without being set apart. You have to be. To be made holy, you must be consecrated, right? And it should happen as soon as you're born again. It really should. There should be a desire in you to want to be like Christ, not just a little of him, but to be completely overtaken from him. Really? I mean, I'm always amazed when somebody says, man, well, I said the words, and you shouldn't have if you didn't feel that junk, you shouldn't have. You need something inside of you that registers with you. You need that. You really do need the tangible presence of God, man, to, to, to really turn your life around. The problem with too many, of, you know, a lot of people know this already. It's not preaching something new, but the, the biggest problem with evangelism came about, man, as soon as we started saying, just say these words. Where are those words in the Bible? <laughs> There's people who just believed and that was enough. They told him the gospel. And and, and what does it say? Did did Peter give this sermon? If you'll just repeat after me. If you'll all just raise your hands. They they got filled with the Holy Spirit before he even preached Jesus. You understand that? Like we keep thinking there's a formula. Man, there's no formula. You saw my wife dance. That's legit. (laughs) That's legit, man. She's filled now she didn't need to she didn't need to wait for the worship to get filled up she's filled now she sees the glory of the Lord in her life right now you know when i got when I first said the words, I can remember saying i'm not sure I exactly understand what I'm saying, but I understand what they're saying They're saying that if I start this that this was something and can I tell you it was a like a it's like a tick inside me that I could not shake that even though It's. I remember when my brother in law was the first time he was like, "Hey, maybe we don't go to the maybe we don't go get beer," and and I'll never forget like, "Well, maybe we won't." I would have never said that had I not gone to church, ever. I would have never stopped doing a lot of things had I not in my brain had the understanding or the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say I was fully transformed. What I'm saying is there was transformation process happening, and I knew that that was the right thing. I just knew it. I knew it. For my life, man, I knew it. For what I wanted in life, I knew it. For what God wanted for me in my life, what people were prophesying over and speaking over me, I wanted those things. And if I was ever going to achieve it, the one thing I knew I had to do was live like Christ. You want to know why I went on a 40 day pa- fast? Because I want to be like Jesus. I mean, more than anything in my life, I just want to be like Jesus. And man, no matter what, I talk, when I talk of holiness and I talk about purity, I, I know it sounds a lot different than maybe sometimes what y'all think about it, but I'm telling you right now, that's why God's called me to live this holy, upright, set-apart life. I'm going to live like nobody else, but I'm also going to live like nobody else. Amen. Simple reason we don't have revival today is because we lack people who call themselves Christians, who associate themselves to Christ, but don't fully give their hearts to becoming like Christ. They still love the world and the things the world has to offer. There's still hope. And even even, uh, even, Mark, you know, even Mark, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, right, P- penned it from Peter, Mark at one time loved the world, left Paul. Paul was mad. I mean, he wrote it. He was mad, you know. And uh, But then down the road, uh, Mark would come back and be a big help to him. And then he writes, Man, I'm glad. There are times in our life where we're going to fail, and that's where the grace of God is. But make no mistake, the pursuit of holiness is a lifelong journey. Some will get it faster than others. That's okay. You know, the biggest thing is finishing. You've got to finish it. That's the big thing. Oh, I don't want to get it. If I keep talking about it, I'm going to just confuse us more, right? Let's just let's end it with this. Remember what we said about holiness. Through holiness, the world is able to see God. If we're going to be a kingdom of priests, if we're going to be a holy nation, we've got to pursue holiness. That needs to be our decision-making skill. We don't don't linger in this this in-between where we go, I could do this, but I know that people will look at this as not right. Because they just will. Well, this is where my favorite part of the attitude up. It starts at a teenage years, but it carries all the way into our adulthood where they'll go, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to answer to God by myself. Well, you can't be a Christian and think like that. I'm sorry. God, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love what? Ugh. <laughs> he tied one to the other. You can't do one without the other. You can't love other people unless you love God because you have to love God just so you can love them, right? You, they're tied together, right? And you know why? Like, I, I I try to live in a glass house. It's not fun at times, right? But I try to live in my finances or a glass house. We say everything from the pulpit. Uh, one thing when I was talking to my mom this morning about the podcast, she's like, you know, it's funny because you're the same way at the house. I'm like, "That's. I think that's why my kids have done fairly well in church, that I'm the same guy. If you've been to my house, you know I'm the same guy here as I am there. What you see is what you get. If If it's not fulfilling, <laughs> sorry. But... <laughs> This is who I am. This is who I am. But, but a lot of that is so that I can show you and my kids this honest life, an honest Christian life, not one that's veiled to where you feel like that guy on the pulpit, he's so freaking holy because he's got this giant thing and all this big. No, no, no. It needs to be practical. Jesus was one of us. He wasn't a pulpiteer. He wasn't a guy with, yeah, 5,000, listen to him. Where were they at Gethsemane? Knew his own friends weren't even there. John was there hanging with the women. Okay? Like, that's it. One guy. All right? So, I mean, like, at the, like make no mistake, but he was a commoner, common guy. And who did, he, who did he recruit? Did he go get the guys who were the best speakers? Paul was picked last on the team. The guy who wrote 75% of the gospel was picked last. And Jesus waited till after he died to do it. <laughs> he couldn't even pick him while he was living. <laughs> You think you have it bad when you're last to get picked. <laughs> I would rather die than pick you. Matter of fact, I will die and then I pick you. How would you like that? I just thought of that now. That's funny. Um, but I, this is what I'm saying. Like he picked common people, right? He showed you how easy it was. The gospel is not something that's hard to be misunderstood. Here, you. It is really simple. Choose holiness. That's why Peter's like, "Be holy. He is holy." Yeah, okay, Peter, calm down. We think there's more to it than that. It's really not. It's really not. When it comes time to make a decision, which way are you going to lean? you Are going to lean towards grace? Well, God will love me even though I kind of know it's wrong. People are going to view it badly. It might lead people in a wrong decision when it comes to making Christian. They might think more like what Brennan said, that that I say I'm Christian, but I'm not really living like one. You can lean on grace on that, and yeah, yeah, God can forgive you on that. But let me tell you, when you start making conscious decisions towards that, that's not a lot of grace right there. That's more like you need to repent. (laughs) That's not grace because you failed. That's grace and you need to repent. Choose holiness. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this decision to live right and live just. I'm going to fail at it. And when I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go before the Lord and I'm going to seek his grace and I'm going to apologize and I'm going to be heartfelt, upset about the idea that I messed up and I made a mistake that I allowed my flesh to get the best of me, right, so that change can really take place in my life. That's where we lean. So my mentor, this is what we always say. Well, which way are you leaning? On grace You lean on holiness? Well, I lean on holiness. Grace is there if I fail. Grace is there if I fail. I can forgive myself, but I was trying to do the right thing. Right? My flesh was struggling in the last minute. I caved in. And Lord, forgive me. I feel remorseful because I really wanted this so bad. I, I was wanting to walk this way. and This is why I was okay. Remember, number one, I was okay with failure. Why if I fail at fasting? Because my heart is in the right place. I'm trying. I want to be like Jesus. But Jesus, it's hard to be like you. I'm not the son of God. I'm one of the sons of God, but not the first one, okay? I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be a bad leader sometimes, but by the grace of God, I'm going to try to live in such a way that I don't. I'm going to try to live in such a way that when I do make a mistake, I repent before you and go, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I try. And I'm... if I was, I mean, can I tell you, man, that was one of the big fears for me during this 40 days. Like, I'm going to fail this thing. I'm going to have to get in front of everybody and say, I'm sorry. I repent because I want to show you the right way to walk. But even through all of that, can I tell you, I still hear the word of the Lord in my ear. I woke up this morning listening, I read in the sermon from night before and reading it to, you know, this morning when I got up at 4.50. can't go, to, I can't wake, I can't sleep. And you know what the Lord said? You are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. And you are a holy nation. Now walk in it. Now walk in it. This is your calling. To walk. In this divine calling, this is the will of God for you to be, to be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Amen? Amen? Amen. Somebody grab my wife. Let's preach. Let's praise and worship.